struck by an erratic driver. What investigators need to help lay charges. And broken concrete shattered dreams. I can't sell it. I need to disclose what happened. Who's going to buy that? A condo owner nearly crushed when part of her ceiling collapsed and why she says she can't go home nearly two years later. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Plans for thousands of travelers are being upended because of tomorrow morning's expected walkout of WestJet and Swoop pilots. WestJet has already canceled many flights, saying talks with the pilots' union have reached a critical impasse. Jasmine Bala is at YVR for us tonight. And Jasmine, there are a lot of frustrated WestJet passengers today. Yeah, Chris, we're talking dozens of WestJet flights landing or taking off from YVR that have been canceled. I actually went through the list and I have the exact numbers here. There are 21 departing flights that have been canceled and 17 arrivals that will no longer be touching down here. It's been chaos for travelers who have had to completely change their plans ahead of the long weekend. It's the last thing you want to see when you're about to take off for vacation. I just woke up in the morning today, uh, came here and saw that the flight is cancelled. So I would say it's, it was really bad notice. Pretty stressful. It, it's got um, everybody up in arms. Major turbulence for WestJet passengers who were supposed to fly out of YVR Thursday. Now we're looking at, for the two of us to get home, $10,000 Canadian dollars on another airline, which we can't afford to do. Air travelers are getting caught up in a labor dispute. I'm losing out on pay for work because I've taken time off. I have friends who've come in from Australia. I haven't seen them in five years that now I'm not going to be able to see. I'm missing out on my niece's birthday now because of this because I can't get a flight now. WestJet is preparing for the possibility of a strike. As of 2 a.m. Friday, more than 1,800 Swoop and WestJet pilots could walk off the job if an agreement isn't reached between the union and the company before then. Today, really early in, in the wee hours of the morning, the word stalemate came out, which is a never a good word when you're talking labor negotiations. With a strike looming, the airline is canceling flights and parking most of its 737 and 787 fleet. They're getting their planes back on Canadian soil. They don't want their planes stuck somewhere where there's, um, they're not staffed and they're not taken care of. WestJet is offering refunds and waiving cancellation fees for flights scheduled between the 15th and 21st. But if you have a flight later this summer, don't cancel just yet. When I look to other airlines around the world, like British Airways, Lufthansa, Air France, that have had strikes, they never last that long, maybe two, three, four days. But the domino effect and the chaos that it uh, creates is just unbelievable. And for some passengers, what that means is... I would never use WestJet ever again. Meanwhile, WestJet's CEO says, we deeply regret the disruption this will have on the travel plans of our guests and the communities and businesses that rely on our critical air service. We remain at a critical impasse with the union and have been left with no choice but to begin taking the painful steps of preparing for the reality of a work stoppage. Now, the union did also respond to our request for comment, and it says negotiators are making themselves available right up until the, 70, until the end of the 72-hour period to try to reach a deal with the company and avoid a strike. In the meantime, if you are scheduled to fly out of YVR on WestJet, make sure you check your flight status online before coming to the airport. Back to you guys. All right. Thanks for that, Jasmine. Baller reporting at YVR. 
Well, the mood is somber among municipal workers in Oak Bay today as they mourn the sudden death of one of their own. A father of two struck and killed on the job yesterday. Kylie Stanton has more on what we're learning, learning about the victim and how the community is coming together to support his family. This shift started a little differently. Laying flowers to pay tribute to a friend, now knowing all too well, going home at the end of the workday isn't always guaranteed. The crews are doing the best they can to keep an eye on each other, but it's going to be a very difficult day. Oak Bay police have identified the victim of Wednesday's fatal crash as 52-year-old Steve Seekins. The married father of two young children had been working in a construction zone, inspecting a manhole cover near the park when a driver veered off the road in the direction of the crew. Seekins was struck and died on scene. The guys on his crew called him Sweet Steve. He was very genuine, very easygoing. Uh, he loved his wife and kids. He talked about them all the time. He'd really made an impression on the guys in the time that he'd been here. That's evidenced here at the Oak Bay Municipal Hall, where signs have been posted notifying the public that while it remains open for business, there's a lot of grief behind these doors. We have psychologists coming in, we have counselors. We've extended those same pieces, those same services to the family, uh, just understanding it's an incredibly traumatic time. The community is part to help them through it as well. A GoFundMe set up for the Seekins has surpassed $50,000 in a matter of hours. And at the scene, the flowers just keep coming. It just got to me. It just got to me. It's my line of work. It's what I did. So you feel bad anytime anything like this happens. The driver, a 66-year-old woman, was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Her actions and the cause of the crash remain under investigation. So far, no charges have been laid. Police are appealing to the public for assistance. Those who may have uh, video evidence or may have witnessed the event and haven't come forward yet, we're still encouraging those folks to come forward to uh, to speak with investigators. Police say Seekin's wife and children have the support of extended family, but the loss is unimaginable. He was a family man simply trying to provide for those he loved. I just want to remind members of the public that we all want to get home safe at the end of the day, and they need to be aware of that. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Oak Bay. Nearly a year after a terrifying shooting spree in Langley that left two people dead and two others wounded, the Independent Investigation Office has determined the RCMP officer who shot and killed the suspect was justified in doing so and probably saved more lives. Janet Brown has the details. It was a shooting rampage that shocked Metro Vancouver, and thousands of people in Langley were jolted by an emergency alert on their cell phones warning there may be an ongoing threat. In the early morning hours of last July 25th, a 28-year-old Surrey man started crisscrossing Langley, randomly shooting at people. The Independent Investigations Office says over the next seven hours, there were five shootings with two people killed. 43-year-old Stephen Furness and 60-year-old Paul Wynn. RCMP eventually took down the gunman, Jordan Goggin. This individual came up, talked to my brother. Do I know you? No, I don't know you. Tried to get into the building, couldn't get into the building, walked to my brother and shot him point blank. He, from what I hear, he literally emptied the entire clip, which is in his gun, to my brother. Even with a total of five shootings over the course of seven hours and two fatalities, 
The IIO says it could have been much, much worse. Well, it absolutely could have been much worse. Um, the, the individual had uh, more ammunition on him. As for a motive? But in this case, we're, we're left at a loss um, as to exactly what his motive was. We do understand that he was suffering from some uh, mental health issues and, um, as the report uh, details, had uh, been abusing some substances. Bogashata killed by a police officer, the IIO says, who placed himself in danger to limit the threat to the public. So the conclusion uh, that the IIO is reaching this is that the uh, actions of the officer to fatally uh, shoot the affected person in this matter were justified. Goggin had no criminal record, but police at the time said he had non-criminal contact with them in the past. Janet Brown, Global News. The Canada Border Services Agency has teamed up with officials in New Zealand to seize a container of drugs that was about to be shipped overseas. The 140 kilograms of meth was found at the Tawasan Container Examination Facility in a shipment bound for New Zealand. It was discovered using intelligence provided by New Zealand police and customs service officials. The investigation has now been turned over to the RCMP. The latest sobering numbers on toxic drug overdoses in B.C. have reignited the debate over whether the province's policies, including safe supply, are making a difference. Nearly seven people are dying every day in B.C. And as Paul Johnson reports, critics say there's not enough information on what is working and what might not be. Another month and another tragic milestone in B.C.'s drug overdose epidemic. The coroner's service reported Thursday that a record 206 British Columbians died in April, almost seven a day, a 17% increase from April of last year, bringing the year-to-date total to 814. The majority were men living in Vancouver, Surrey and Greater Victoria. Health Minister Adrian Dix reacted to the news on the Global Morning Show and said it underscores the need for ongoing measures like harm reduction and safe supply. In order to get people into treatment, we're dramatically increasing resources for treatment. In order to protect people, we've got to keep them alive. But how best to prevent those struggling with addiction from a fatal overdose? Many in government and harm reduction groups say the numbers confirm the need to double down on programs like prescription safe supply and decriminalization. But B.C. has both of those already. And critics say surging overdose numbers are actually an indictment of those programs. There will be no success if we continue to spend money and to dump money into things that aren't making a difference. While the opposition would presumably modify or end these programs, some current thinking in Victoria is about expanding them. B.C.'s representative for children and youth says it's time to consider expanding the safe supply program to include teenagers. We have to be open to the notion of a prescribed safer supply and, frankly, a non-prescribed safer supply. For some young people, they're not going to go to a pharmacist. They don't have access to the doctor. Paul Johnson, Global News. And Premier David Eby today addressing the critics who are taking aim at him over the province's safe supply program. Keith Baldry joins us with more on what the Premier had to say about this increasingly controversial issue. Keith? 
Yeah, very interesting. Very, of course, very close to what uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix said on our morning news program today. But say, the whole safe supply program has been thrust into the spotlight now. Uh, didn't come up in the legislature so much. It was about open drug use, and we've been doing stories on that. But now the issue of safe supply is front and center. The report from the coroner today said the vast majority of deaths are from illicit drugs, not from the safe supply. But David Eby today, again, subtle change here. He says it would be an ongoing evaluation of the effectiveness of this program. Here's the premier. The safe supply work was supported by uh, both parties in the legislature, the official opposition as well as the government, the chiefs of police across the province, the federal government. Uh, and uh, the reason for that is the depth of the challenge that we face. Now, we're going to continue to evaluate this program to make sure it's meeting our needs, uh, in particular, ensuring safer communities, ensuring that we're keeping people alive as best as possible and addressing issues that have been raised, which are important questions to be asked about uh, the public use of drugs or about the diversion of drugs. These are issues we have to address. So one takeaway from the Premier's comments, both today and earlier, his minister's comments as well, is nothing's etched in stone here. We're in a whole new world when it comes to different programs to treat the opioid crisis. So again, I think a number of changes could be in the offing in the months ahead. Nothing is set in stone. All right, well, we'll see what happens uh, then in the months ahead. Keith, thank you. Vancouver police are looking for an alleged fraudster wanted Canada-wide for failing to attend court. 47-year-old Cheng Huang has been on 24-hour house arrest after being charged with several offenses, including fraud. But he failed to show up for a court appearance in April and still hasn't been found. Huang is 5 foot 5 and 155 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. He's considered armed and dangerous, so if you see him, you're asked to call police immediately. A two-year battle over a frightening incident in a brand-new condominium is heading for the courts. A Burnaby woman is suing the developer of her condo after part of the ceiling caved in on top of her. Grace Key reports. I always have to get somebody to come in with me, so... Carmela De Benedetto has anxiety whenever she enters a Burnaby condo. Her things still in boxes from almost two years ago when she moved into the brand new building. That's because soon after, parts of her ceiling collapsed while she was in bed. I just jumped out of bed and there was rocks, a big boulders everywhere. One hit the bed. Concrete narrowly missed her head. The ceiling also partially collapsed in the living room. Soterra developers made the repairs, but Carmela doesn't want to move back in. Soterra has offered to buy her condo at her cost. She paid $825,000 pre-sale. Carmela wants fair market value. I'm not asking for an outrageous price. I'm asking for a fair market price because I can't sell this. I can't sell it. I need to disclose what happened. Who's going to buy that? A notice of civil suit has been filed against Solterra claiming negligence. She's always taken the position, and legally it's the right position, just uh, put me in the same position so I can buy something else at a comparable price. That's all she wants. She doesn't want to make a profit from this. She's innocent. It's not her fault. So Tara says it exercised reasonable care and attention in the development and that the concrete that broke off the ceilings was isolated to one unit. They paid $17,000 for the six weeks Carmela spent in a hotel, offered to pay out-of-pocket expenses, and a goodwill payment of $50,000 was declined. They claim Carmela expressed confidence in the building when seeking to obtain a higher floor unit. Carmela says she was offered the unit at a higher price but was too distressed to move back in. She's been staying in a hotel for almost two 
two years dipping into her savings. She's seeking compensation. She says she suffered depression, anxiety, and insomnia as a result of the ceiling collapse. Did I ever think of being here at my age? I'm, I'm, I'm 66 years old. I don't need this. Carmela envisioned large Italian family gatherings in this new building. Instead, it's turned into a two-year battle with developers. Grace Key, Global News. A teenage podcaster helping others overcome flood trauma. And I remember being very upset because I was scared for her. How concern for a friend during the Fraser Valley flood of 2021 inspired her and other young people to share their feelings and how it's getting the attention of the premier next on the News Hour. I was coming around the corner. I looked to my left and immediately there was a, there was a bear. A North Shore cyclist collides with a bear and lives to tell the story. That's later on the news hour. And rooftop rebels. A warning for police after teens are caught on camera climbing where they shouldn't. That's later. Right now, the residents of the Fraser Valley are still dealing with the lingering trauma of those massive floods of 2021. That includes many young people who live through it. A teenage podcaster from Abbotsford is one of them. And as Jennifer Palmer reports, She's on a mission to help others like her recover, all while holding politicians to account. Dry, crunchy earth as 14-year-old Anna Conrad walks along her family's five-acre property in the Sumas Prairie. This extreme stretch of hot weather, a vast difference from November of 2021. As water spread across fields and seeped into homes, there was one way out. In trying to make sense of what happened to her community, Anna took a school project and turned it into a podcast named Kids Talk About the Abbotsford Flood, giving children a voice. Hearing these stories of resilience, uh, it felt really cool to see what everyone's been through. It was getting pretty deep at our driveway, so I was really scared that, we was, that our truck was going to like get washed away as we went through the water. So I thought we were going to fall so that I can die. The flooding displaced countless families and animals, the chaos creating worry and a sense of loss and mourning. In sharing their stories, the hope is they can feel safer. It's important to hear those voices. Uh, and telling stories is a scientific proven way to um, help people through that. So I think that definitely needs to be done and we should listen to these people. Did you lose a lot of your cows or animals? We lost no animals. Wow, that's incredible. We almost lost one of our wildcats, but that's really all. But Anna has another surge pushing her to bring about change that will keep the community safe from potential future flooding. Challenging politicians, writing them, and hearing back from even Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I thank you once again, Anna, for your outstanding podcast and for your flood protection and prevention advocacy on behalf of those in BC. This will have a generational effect. Their, her life will be changed from this moment forward. And this podcast is a reminder that, that uh, our work around uh, the, the emotional cost uh, uh, still needs to be addressed. Anna says she's better, but when it rains, the fear sometimes rises. She says she's lucky, her home is okay, and her cat Midnight, who had taken refuge on the roof from the floods, is still with her. She's in wonderment how a school project has helped wash away some doubts. It shows me like the power of what I can actually do. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well done, Anna. All right, still ahead, recreating masterpieces. You get close to it, you can enjoy it. The self-taught artist with a skill that almost matches some of the world's most recognizable works of art. And a Port McNeil landmark destroyed by suspected vandals. 
The search for two suspects later. Steady east and west on Highway 1 to and from the Portman Bridge tonight, but still seeing a buildup for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 through Coquitlam on the approach. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, Expert Repair for Your Vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The trial of Ibrahim Ali charged with first-degree murder in the killing of a young Burnaby teen in 2017 paused unexpectedly today. As Ramina Dea reports, it comes on a day when the defense was expected to cross-examine a forensic pathologist on the evidence found at the scene. And a warning, as always in this case, some of the details are disturbing. The crux of defense counsel's cross-examination of Dr. Jason Morin, a key witness, was supposed to commence Thursday morning. But the trial came to a halt because the accused was not well. The jury sent home and asked to return Friday. Dr. Warren, a crucial witness because he's the forensic pathologist who conducted the autopsy of the young teen. And in his opinion, the cause of death was strangulation. The girl found in the forest in Burnaby Central Park almost six years ago. As Crown's witness, Dr. Morin testified the teen's jean shorts and underwear were pulled down. The underwear upside down. The girl's black t-shirt and sports bra pulled up. Why is this important evidence? Crown counsel is trying to prove Ibrahim Ali strangled the teen to death in the course of sexually assaulting her. Ali's semen found inside the teen, says Crown. But the jury has yet to hear of any DNA evidence found on the girl or at the crime scene. Ali has told the jury he did not kill the teen. Dr. Morin has testified there is red and brown staining on the teen's clothing. But what is it? On Wednesday, he told defense he did not examine the clothing under the microscope because it was not his job. That would be up to police. It's unclear when Dr. Morin will be back on the stand for the completion of cross-examination. On Wednesday, the jury learned the three-month-long trial, which was expected to conclude June 30th, will not finish before the fall. What happens next in the proceedings? We should find out on Friday. Romina Dea, Global News. Who burned the burl? That's what Port McNeil RCMP want to find out after the community's local landmark was set on fire. Weighing 30 tons and standing 20 feet tall, the world's largest burl was discovered engulfed in flames early this morning. There's extensive damage to the unique spruce growth. The protective structure around it was destroyed. Surveillance footage shows two suspects carrying what appears to be a yellow jerry can before the fire was discovered. If you recognize either of these two individuals, you are asked to contact RCMP. New Westminster police are warning people about the risk of climbing on rooftops, and it's easy to see why. This video posted to Twitter shows a group of young people climbing on the roof of the Fraser River Discovery Center. They then jump up onto another structure attached to that building. Police say trespassing on rooftops is extremely dangerous and puts you at significant risk. Anyone who sees a similar situation is being asked to call 911. Coming up, a cyclist survives a collision with a bear. He accelerated extremely fast and he just headed right for me. The ride that ended with a lot more than road rash next. Plus, choking smoke in the Okanagan and when the skies could clear. Coming up.
Steady both ways this evening at the Patel Hill Bridge. Do expect some minor delays a little later on tonight, though, for some ongoing construction for northbound traffic until 10 p.m. Help police keep BC's roads safe by following the speed limit and being a responsible driver because safer roads start with you. I'm Trish Ewison in the Global Traffic Center. A North Vancouver cyclist has a heck of a story to tell and a long recovery ahead after a high-speed collision with a black bear. He was out for a ride through the Seymour demonstration forest when the crash happened. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, he's thanking other cyclists who came to his aid. So I've got a pretty big fracture in my scapula and then uh, also have a cardiac contusion, which uh, is a bruised heart, basically. I've also got uh, a bunch of bruising in my ribs, which is... Uh, Makes it a little painful to breathe. Kevin Milner describes his extensive injuries, telling us he feels fortunate to be alive after a bizarre close encounter with a black bear. I was thinking this is going to be bad. Tuesday night, he was riding in the Seymour demonstration forest when he spotted the bear. The 30-year-old says he made a quick decision to continue hill, but the bear bolted, running right across his path. Uh, I couldn't believe how, how quickly he picked up speed and he uh, he just pulled right in front of me and I, I caught him right behind the shoulder blades and uh, I, I launched over top of him. Uh, I was attached to my bike because I have uh, clipless pedals and uh, I launched right over top of him and uh, I went flying through the air. His helmet took much of the impact but he was still seriously hurt with no one around and no cell service. I wasn't sure like... Uh, if I was like paralyzed, I mean, I couldn't move or if like I had uh, some internal bleeding going on. Then a good Samaritan named Sam showed up on his e-bike. So too did the same bear as seen in this video. The bear was kind of just sniffing around, sniffing into the wind and just kind of looking at us really curious and stuff. Kevin says Sam loaned him the e-bike and helped him get onto it. Once out of the Seymour demonstration forest, Kevin spent the night at Lionsgate Hospital. Really surprised. They, they told me they'd never heard anything like it. The North Vancouver resident says it was a collision he never could have imagined. And despite his injuries, still loves bears. Love bears. It's a beautiful bear. Yeah, just love. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The latest proposal by the city of Vernon to deal with its large goose population is generating some controversy. Vernon already uses methods like egg addling, hazing the birds away and using solar lights to make beaches less hospitable to the birds at night. And now the city is considering a kill to scare program, killing a small number of birds to keep the rest away. When you do kill one on, on that beach, um, they see the carcasses that are laying there and they are less likely to return to that area. Even if you are effective at scaring one group of uh, geese away, uh, another group can easily move in. It's just a, a temporary fix at best. The Animal Alliance is calling on Vernon to strengthen its non-lethal control methods instead. But the city is confident a kill-to-scare program would decrease the nuisance, at least for a time. 
Well, ahead of the long weekend, the BC Search and Rescue Association has released its list of the province's top 10 trails when it comes to hikers in need of rescue. And topping the list, the Rubble Creek Trail to Black Tusk, followed by the House Sound Crest Trail, the Wanda Fuca Marine Trail, the Stowamas Chief and Sea to Summit Trails. In sixth, the wildly popular Grouse Grind, followed by the Wedgemont Lake, Mount Seymour Trails, Whistler's Rainbow Mountain Trail, and Cape Scott Trail coming in at number 10. The association has, a, has prepared a series of know-before-you-go videos for those trails, laying out the specific hazards to help you be better prepared. Air quality in the Okanagan has improved somewhat, but the provincial government is maintaining its Smoky Skies Bulletin. It's a very early start. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Hazy skies aren't unusual for the region, but the fact they've come so early in the season is. Thanks to the smoke from wildfires in B.C. and Alberta, Interior Health has issued the usual advisory to people at risk to reduce their time outdoors. The good news, a change in wind direction over the long weekend could provide some at least temporary relief. Well, work is beginning on a new warehouse for Nanaimo-based food bank Loaves and Fishes. The existing facility is too small, and the food bank says the need for its service has been growing each month since the start of the pandemic. The B.C. government is contributing $7 million for the warehouse, and the city of Nanaimo has given the organization a 30-year lease on the land for $10. Historically, food banking has been defined around scarcity, but we have discovered that food banking can actually be about abundance. There is lots of food out there. There just needs to be the infrastructure in place with the appropriate systems to make sure that food does not end up in the landfill and instead ends up with people. Loaves and Fishes distributes food to those in need across a large part of Vancouver Island, from Ladysmith to Port Hardy. It's our most precious resource and we need to protect it. And with the Okanagan already feeling the heat, the renewed effort to conserve water before it's too late coming up. And just ahead, an amateur artist showcases his display of strikingly realistic interpretations of the masters. The Okanagan is one of Canada's most water-stressed regions. In fact, it is among the top water users in Canada. And now local organizations are encouraging residents to try to reduce water waste. Jasmine King has more. With temperatures rising and summer approaching quickly, residents are being reminded to think about one of the most important resources, water. It's incumbent upon us to protect our water source, and the biggest pillar in that is conservation. And this is an effort to take those necessary steps to conservation. Each year, the Okanagan Basin Water Board stresses the importance of water conservation, hoping to avoid the consequences of using too much water. We don't want to find ourselves in a situation where we are having to make tough choices and telling people, you know what, not only are there restrictions, but now you are, we are in a drought and you cannot be watering your lawns or watering your gardens because there isn't enough. One of the main goals of the initiative is to reduce water waste, and part of that waste can be attributed to lawn care. 
You look at the second largest use in the valley is for landscaping. And what are we uh, landscaping? Grass. What's, a, what's a, uh, you know, what is the volume that's required to actually have a green, uh, green lawn in the middle of a semi-desert? Although the Okanagan is full of lakes and creeks, it's easy to be deceived. The valley actually has the lowest per person water availability in the country. The Okanagan actually has one of the highest rates of water use in Canada, but we use almost more than anyone in Canada. It's, it's a real problem. The Water Board is hoping local elected officials can remind residents to take the pledges associated with reducing water use to protect the resource for future generations. So important that we're, uh, we recognize the value we have in water, but also the responsibilities that we have as individuals, as governments, as municipalities and cities to make sure that we are protecting the most sacred resource that we have. Pledges include watering your lawn between dusk and dawn, as well as watering plants and not the pavement. Jasmine King, Global News, Kelowna. Looks beautiful there, but they had some thunderstorms roll through. Yeah, that's been an mm -hmm. issue uh, throughout the day, Christy. Yes, right through the afternoon. Absolutely. Here's a quick look. I want to highlight the fact that areas in yellow are under a severe thunderstorm warning. It includes the Caribou region uh, in and around Williams Lake, shifting towards the northeast for those regions as well. The Nicola region uh, over towards the North Okanagan. And then this is the Arrow and Slocan Lakes region. This area in orange is under a severe thunderstorm watch, meaning there is the potential, although there are no severe thunderstorms in that area right now. What you can expect is an immense amount of lightning. So when thunder roars, head indoors to keep everyone safe. Downpours of rain, nickel-sized hail, and very strong gusty winds. We are expecting these thunderstorms to settle down this evening, but it may be at least an hour before we start to see cooler conditions and it settle down. We had a bit of a clearing across these, I shouldn't say clearing, uh, there's less smoke in through the interior today than there was yesterday. More of a westerly push because we're starting to see more onshore flow. That's what's also kicking up the thunderstorms. We are going to continue to see a gradual improvement in the next couple of days, but in terms of a significant change in our weather pattern, it's not until Monday. And we've been talking about this for the BC Peace River area. It does mean cooler conditions. It does mean rainfall, but it also brings in that risk of thunderstorms. Quick look at the air quality health index in through Metro Vancouver just if you were wondering, it was at a low to just moderate level. As we head into tomorrow, we're expecting similar conditions in terms of smoke across the region. We do have a risk of thunderstorms again tomorrow afternoon from Kamloops south. And for the south coast, we'll see sunshine and warmth. Again, it will be hazy, though, similar to what we saw today. And we are expecting temperatures to cool as we head into the latter part of the weekend. So uh, mainly or a little bit more cloud cover comes Sunday and Monday with a small chance of showers tonight. Central windows, weather window coming to you from Salmon Arm, where for the one, only thing that is uh, that is sort of the silver lining of a bit of smoke is that it creates this beautiful sort of uh, lines, as you can see there, as the sun comes or the sun's rays come around the cloud. Mm -hmm. Kind of the filtered effect hazy. there. Yeah, it is very heavenly, yeah. uh, heavenly looking. All right. Thanks, Christy. Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. Hello, Squire. Hello, everybody. Hello, Sophie. Hello, Chris. Hello. Squire. Hello to you. That and Christy you at home and Christy can she still hear me or is I she can still hear you oh good oh, she's there. hello to you uh, thank you and to you too thank yeah, you we got that out of the way now we've all uh, <laughs> done our pleasantries I have no time left to tell you what's coming up in sports but the Lions brought veteran defensive lineman Sean Lemon back this year after he had a great season in Calgary last year but actually he doesn't think he had one always my toughest critic on myself 
I feel like I left a lot out there. Well, he's either being extra hard on himself or extra modest because he did have 14 sacks, and the Lions hope he can get that many for them this year. And coming up later in This is BC, a replica museum with copies of art from the Renaissance to Impressionism and the self-taught artist who created it all. It's an amazing time in sports. Squire knows this. We've got hockey going on. We've got baseball going on. We've got NBA going on. And now we're even talking football. Yeah, we are talking football. BC Lions, and that's where we'll start. Uh, one of the new guys in the BC Lions this season really isn't new at all. Defensive lineman Sean Lemon has been a BC Lion before. He's actually been a lot of CFL guys before. He's played in a lot of different teams. Most of the league has had Sean Lemon at one time, in fact. But he still knows how to hunt down quarterbacks better than the younger players in the CFL. Got to Riley, got away, but they track it down, and it's Sean Lemon with the sack. Sean Lemon knows his way around the CFL better than most. This will be his 11th season in the league and third time he's been with the Lions. Lemon's played on six of the nine teams in the CFL, has been released five times, traded three times, and has signed as a free agent three more times. For a guy who's had an amazing amount of success, it's just as amazing he has to keep proving himself. Honestly, like sometimes some, certain guys play with a chip on their shoulder, and they play with a chip, whether it's based off of you know being recognized or being undervalued, and I think he plays with that edge. This time, Lemon arrives in BC by his own choice. Coming off a 14-sack season last year in Calgary, Lemon signed as a free agent with the Lions. At age 34, he still got it. His 92 career sacks are the highest of any active player and is 15th on the all-time list, but feels he's not even close to being done. Honestly, I feel like I left a lot of plays out there last year. Uh, and, you know, I worked on that in the offseason. I'm always my toughest critic on myself. Uh, I feel like I left a lot out there, and I'm just excited for what, what this year brings. Lemon has used swimming as an off-season conditioner that has been a lot easier on the joints than traditional weightlifting. He's a svelte 240 pounds, which gives him the quickness to get to quarterbacks. Combine that with 11 years of veteran savvy, which includes three Grey Cup rings, and the Lions expect there will be plenty more lemon drops of opposing quarterbacks this season. I'm not just watching film to go against my opponents. I'm watching film to go understand how offensive coordinators game plan for guys like myself and just seeing it from a different lens, really. He wants to prove all the time that he's one of the best defensive linemen in the league, but also to the same extent, he's someone that's always usually been on a winning ball club, and we want guys that know how to win. Vancouver Whitecaps, well, they kind of know how to win. Well, maybe not as much as they should. They're home against Seattle on Saturday at 7.30. It'll be a tough matchup. Seattle's number one in the West right now, but at least it's at home. Vancouver, not so good on the road. They don't travel well. Last night they lost in Dallas. They haven't won a road game in 11 months. They feel, though, they shouldn't have lost last night. They should have at least gotten a draw, and they might have had they not done this in the second half. Yohei Takeyoka was kind of let down by Veselinovic here, and then Javane Brown, who did not do a very good job of stopping Jesus Ferreira from scoring here. It was just a comedy of errors, although only Dallas was laughing. Uh, you got to be better right there. And then right through the legs, 
but then Vancouver felt it got ripped off here. Should this have been a penalty kick for the uh, Whitecaps? Schaaf brought down in the area, but no call. And Vanny wasn't happy about anything after the game. The penalty, because it was a penalty for us. And uh, unfortunately, uh, both the referee and the VAR didn't see it. And um, yeah, uh, it's very frustra frustrating because, you know, last week we lost and we deserved to lose. This week we didn't deserve to lose. PGA Championship, they're playing for that and a whole bunch of money. Canada's Corey Connors had a great start. Look at this approach on number 12 to one foot. Uh, that led to a birdie. Shot at three under par, 67. He's tied for fifth right now in round number one. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin, all the BC boys out there. Short birdie putt on number four. He's tied 10th at one under, but he still has a few holes to play. They had to stop because of darkness. Nick Taylor plus one. Adam Svensson an even par 70. That's a good start. But how about Tom Kim? You don't see it, but he falls in the muck. See, that's why it's good to be an amateur golfer who doesn't care about the rules. You just pick the ball up and say, I'm not going in there. Oh, my. But uh, he went in there, and man, oh, man, give him credit. But right now, he's probably at a local laundromat getting ready for tomorrow. Alberti Valley yesterday was the final game of the BCHL season, and the Penticton Vs did as expected. They swept the Alberni Valley Bulldogs. Brett Morovich with the goal there to make it 3-1. to one. And the Vs, who hardly lost at all this season, will win the Fred Page Cup for the second year in a row. And if you go back to 2008, this franchise has won six of these. They are the champs again in the BC Hockey League. Congratulations to them and the Bulldogs, who had a great season. And I just wanted to show you this from Game 2 of the Nuggets and Lakers tonight. Uh, there's Nikola Jokic, but watch LeBron. He's going to be fancy. Oh! Oh, how often do you see the king lose the orb? Oh, no. Yeah, but the uh, Lakers are leading 53-48. And the last time we checked in the second period, Florida, Florida leading Carolina 2-1 in the second period. That's game one of the Eastern Conference Final. Where's there you the go. Talc? Where's the talc? You know? It's only at the start of the game. Yeah, that's right. It, it wears off after a while. <laughs> Thanks, Squire. Up next, a colossal collection of replica masterpieces created by an artist with no formal training. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Chris will be live at YVR again as the clock ticks down to the WestJet strike. If there are any late developments, we'll have them tonight. Also, he's greeted thousands of people checking into the Empress. Now, Winston is preparing to check out of the Victoria landmark. Yes, the hotel's most popular employee and official mascot is retiring at the age of seven. We'll tell you why on Global News at 11. Chris? Good dog. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, most people go to the Louvre or the Vatican to see the masterpieces of Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. But it turns out you can admire some of the world's most famous paintings without ever leaving B.C. As Jay Durant shows us in This is B.C., a Coquitlam man's creative hobby has overtaken his home. And now he's opening it up for the public to see his tribute to the masters. For the past 14 years, Cosimo Gioracitano has been recreating the world's greatest masterpieces. 
Starting from the Renaissance to the Impressionism, Renoir, Cézanne, Monet, Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo da Vinci. Some taking just a few weeks, others like the Sistine Chapel replica, about half a year. I don't stop until I'm satisfied that they are perfect. These are not for sale. It's too hard to part with his work. If I sell one of the existing paintings, it's like they cut my arm. <laughs> so instead, the Italian-born painter and sculptor has turned his home into a museum. Finally, 88 paintings, and it's about time to share this with the public. Showing time slots have been booked solid. In the last three weeks, we had over 300 bookings. The exhibit centerpiece is his masterpiece, a book he carved out of jade. The pages are all linked together. They've never been separated. And the message is one of peace and acceptance. Now that he's busy working as a curator, Cosimo is cutting back on the painting. Besides, he's running out of wall space. There is no more room. I said that four years ago, there's no more room, and then I paint another 40. But now, really, there is no more room. I will still paint, but not at the fast pace like before. It was seven days a week, 10 hours a day. Now it will be whenever I have time. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. What a collection. Beautiful. Amazing. Reach out if you want a booking to get in there and see mm -hmm. it in person. Yeah, on his website. Easy. I already looked. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, last word on weather from Christy before we go. Hot and sunny again tomorrow, which is fantastic, although we are still going to be contending with haze. And those of you in the interior, I think you'll continue to see some improvement, but it won't be until Monday that we'll see more significant change. All right, thanks very much for... Yes, it is a fly swatter I have. I'm going to get that thing that's been bugging us all show. Thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.